You know, Thanksgiving is just a few days away. I'm sure you're aware. And I got to be honest, I am really, really excited. How many of you are excited about Thanksgiving this year? All right. (laughs) And I would imagine that the majority of those reasons are probably for food. But uh, I've got some reasons of my own why I'm excited about Thanksgiving. But before I tell you those reasons, I thought I'd share a little bit of why uh, each of my boys love Thanksgiving so much. So I took the time this week to ask each one of them, uh, four boys, all different ages, uh, what it is they love about Thanksgiving. And some of them had some pretty common answers and the others, you know, you'll see. So uh, Micaiah, he just turned 10 actually last week, the end of last week. And his response was pretty typical. He says, man, I just love eating all the food and seeing family. All right, we can get behind that, right? That's a good reason. Uh, Weston, our six-year-old, he he was a little more specific. So he said, eating chocolate candy. And then if you know Weston, this next answer is just right on. He said, uh, uh, giving food to other people. That was just... That's his heart. He's, he's, a, he's a lover. He's a giver. He just, you know, that's him. Uh, Phillips, our four-year-old, was even more specific. He said, eating honey-baked ham and playing games with family. So our, our Thanksgiving tradition is a little bit different than the norm. We actually do honey ham on Thanksgiving, and then on Christmas we do barbecue. Can I get a oh yeah? <laughs> you know the show Home Improvement? I can't do the ho, ho, ho. <laughs> that's how I feel about Thanksgiving. So Elliot... Then you get to Elliot, our two-year-old, and his was just awesome. He just said, uh, eating bananas, and then he paused for a minute, and he said, also, I want a new flashlight. <laughs> and uh, So I think he's confusing Christmas with Thanksgiving for sure, but it's just right around the corner anyway. You know, for me, Thanksgiving uh, is an important time of year. It's a time to purposefully express gratitude for all of God's blessings in our lives. Amen? It's a time to focus on family. It's a time to to rest, you know, maybe take a break from work and recharge your batteries a little bit. It's a time to be content with the season that God has you in. And I think that we would probably all agree, most of us at least would agree, that most of the rest of the year, you know, the culture that we live in, it encourages us to, to not be content. Here's what I mean by that. We're constantly being fed messages, truth claims that, that say more is, is always better. More is always better. So more money, a bigger house, our our kids going to the right school, having the latest toy in the garage, or getting that promotion at work. And and some of these things can be amazing things. Some of these things can be great. But what happens is, if you're anything like me, over time, you become dissatisfied with what you already have, or you become dissatisfied with the season that God has you in. We become discontent. Today we're going to talk about something that I believe every single one of us need to hear. And why do I think that? Well, it's because I need to hear this. This message is, is for me today. The Bible clearly teaches us that um, God's plan for our lives is that we would learn to be content. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 13, this is just one passage of many that highlights this wonderful truth. It's going to serve as the, the main text uh, for our message today. And when you read a, th- this particular passage of Scripture, there's one verse that uh, typically will, will always stand out. And it's because it's a verse that we all know. It's a verse that's been written on the walls of our homes. Um, it, it's a verse that you hear uh, before major sporting events. It's posted on Facebook millions of times a year. And that verse is Philippians 4.13. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, For I can do everything through Christ, and then let's finish this together, 
who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So this is a favorite verse or a life verse for many people and for good reason. The Apostle Paul's words in Philippians 4 are very powerful. But for us to understand this verse, we have to take a step back. We have to look at the context that surrounds it. And I would say, and I've said this before, it's important that we always look at the context before we jump straight to the content. Because if you jump straight to the content, sometimes you, you miss the context surrounding it. So Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, um, we also have Bibles in the seat backs of the chairs, and we'll have the scripture on the screen. Philippians 4, we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. This is where we're going to camp or spend most of our time today. The, this is the Apostle Paul's words here. It says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. He says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And then we get to that that famous verse that we all know. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It gives that verse a little bit different meaning, doesn't it? When you look at the the context around it. See, the Apostle Paul, he wrote the letter of Philippians to a group of of Christians at Philippi. This was a church located in Macedonia. And he, he wrote this letter, often called the letter of joy, ironically enough, while he was chained up in a Roman prison cell. Let that sink in for just a minute. Uh, Philippians, often called the letter of joy, written by the Apostle Paul while he's, he's chained up day and night in a Roman prison cell. He wrote this letter to encourage Christians, to strengthen Christians by showing them that true joy comes from Christ. It doesn't come from our circumstances. So with this in mind, I want us to take a, a little bit closer look at this text this morning. So verse 10, Paul writes, how I praise the Lord, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. So again, sitting in a prison cell day and night, Paul was able to do two things, at least that we know of. Number one, he was able to praise God. Regardless of his circumstances, regardless of his situation, he was able to praise God. He was also able to find things that he could be thankful for. And in this situation, it was his friends at Philippi, his Christian brothers and sisters. He was, he was thankful for them. And then in verse 11, he writes, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Paul says, I've learned how to be content. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. If I was in a similar situation, if I was chained up in any kind of prison cell day and night, I don't think I could respond the same way that the Apostle Paul did. I think I would have needs. I think some of you might as well. Maybe three meals a day, you know, a hot shower, Netflix on demand. All right? these, are, these are things that I think, I think I would need. But Paul says, not that I was ever in need. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Then let's look at verse 12. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And he knows that because he's, he's been there. He's had almost nothing. He's been shipwrecked, 
bitten by snakes, all sorts of things, and he's had plenty. And he says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So Paul learned how to be content. It wasn't something that he was born knowing how to do. Paul says, I learned this. And based on Paul's story and other stories throughout Scripture, and then just knowing myself, doing a little bit of of, of self-evaluation today, knowing where God has brought me in my faith journey. You know, I don't believe that contentment is something that any of us are born knowing how to have. And what I've found is kind of, is really the opposite of that. That is that discontentment is what comes naturally to us. Contentment is not a natural thing for most people. But according to Paul, contentment is something that is learned. So the big question today is, how do we learn contentment? If we see that Paul was able to learn contentment, and we know from other places in Scripture that God, his desire for his people is that we would be content, how do we learn contentment? Well, let's, let's look at verse 13. Paul says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So here, here again is that famous verse that we've all heard. I believe this verse contains the secret to learning contentment. Paul shares that the secret to learning contentment is rooted, here this church, is rooted in knowing Christ. It's rooted in having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. Contentment can never be found in our worldly circumstances. It can never be found as much as we'd like for it to to be found in, in human relationships. If you're anything like me, often that's where we turn to try to find contentment. And we know that it can never be found in our worldly possessions. Contentment is found in knowing Christ. And like Paul, I believe that we too can learn to be content in Jesus. But before we, we talk about some of the ways that we can learn contentment, or what we're going to call contentment conquers. I, I, I like that phrase, contentment conquers. I want to give you two things today that I believe will kill contentment in our lives. We're going to call these contentment killers. So contentment killer number one, you need to hold on to your seat for this one because it's going to get real this morning. Contentment killer number one is what we're going to call chronic complaining. Chronic complaining will kill contentment. So if someone is a chronic complainer, they constantly complain. That's anything that's chronic. It's constantly recurring. You know, and there are many different types of chronic complaining, and when you start to chronic complain, you become a chronic complainer. There's many types of this, but for the sake of our time this morning, I want to give you uh, just briefly four types of chronic complaining. And as you look at this list, again, I want you to do a little bit of self-evaluation today. See if you find your name anywhere on this list. The first one, the first type of chronic complaining is this. We're going to call it the whiner. The whiner. So the whiner wakes up just about every day, ready to complain about something. Things can be going really well in life, or you can be going through a really difficult season, one of life's storms. But regardless of what life is like, you find something to complain about. That's, that's the, the whiner. In fact, if, if they weren't complaining, they, they wouldn't know what to do. They try to find something to complain about. That's the whiner. The second type of chronic complaining is what we're going to call the martyr. The martyr says, no one appreciates me. 
All I ever do is give and nobody ever gives back. The, the martyr wants other people to notice their sacrifice and then to recognize them for it. And when they don't, they find things to complain. They find reasons to complain. The third type of chronic complaining is what we're going to call the cynic. The cynic. So the, the cynic believes that nothing will ever change. Again, things can be going so well in life or it can be at the other end of the spectrum and you're going through one of life's storms. The cynic believes that their situation is just always going to stay the same. And I've actually seen this take root in, in the church over the years and it, it makes a pretty negative impact. So when our elders, and not just here, but when our elders pray about the direction that God's leading the church and ministry team leaders in the church get excited about reaching people for Christ and they present new ideas, the cynic will respond with a can't-do attitude. They'll say, well, I don't think that's going to work, or we've already tried that, it doesn't work, or this is the way we've always done it. They'll find ways to complain. That's the cynic. And then finally, you have the perfectionist. The perfectionist. Uh, nothing is, is ever good enough. Um, if they're doing a project, they're doing something with their family, they, they don't trust other people to help. And they're never satisfied with the results. And because of that, they, they complain. It doesn't meet their standard. The perfectionist. So, again, these are just four types of what I would call chronic complaining, all of which kill contentment in our lives. So what does God's word say about the chronic complainer or chronic complaining? Well, it doesn't use the word chronic, but it uses the word complaining quite a bit. Just one passage, it's in the same book we're looking at this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul writes this, he says, Do everything without, and what's the word? Complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. He's talking to Christians here. He says, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world that is full of crooked and perverse people. And let God's light shine through you. Do everything that you do without complaining or arguing so that no one can criticize. Again, the Apostle Paul, you have to put it into context here. It's still Philippians. He's writing from a Roman prison cell, chained up day and night. And we learn that he's learned to be content. You know, it's one thing to complain every once in a while. Or maybe to bring something to someone else's attention that really needs to be addressed. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think he's saying it's another thing to be a chronic complainer. You know, I believe that complaining um, is a choice. It's a choice that every single one of us have. And that chronic complainers, hear this, chronic complainers miss out on the promises, blessing, and purpose of God in their lives. Where does that come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 13, that illustrates uh, this truth. Um, I'm not going to read the, the whole story today. And when you get home, I just encourage you to read Numbers 13. But in Numbers 13, this is the scene we're given. You have Moses. He sends out 12 men or 12 spies, one representing each tribe of Israel. And he does this to go out and explore the land of Canaan which is the promised land that God was giving to his people. And their mission was simple. It was twofold. They were to explore the land, 
And then Moses wanted them to bring back uh, samples of uh, the crops that they found so that they could know what this land was like. So after they explored the land for 40 days, the men returned with a report. They started off pretty positive. They confirmed that, man, this land is beautiful. It has everything that God said it would have, everything that, that we need to survive, and not just survive, but thrive as a people. But there was one problem. See, the current occupants of this land were very large and very powerful people. They had actually built these towns that were surrounded on all sides or fortified, so you, it would be very difficult to break through. Even though God had promised this land to his people for generations, what you see is 10 out of the 12 spies returning scared. Returning, finding something to complain about. In fact, this is, this is what stands out to me more than anything. Their complaining not only affected their own lives, not only killed contentment in their own lives, it affected the entire Israelite community. You read Numbers 13 and you see how people were weeping out loud because of this report. People were losing sleep at night. How many of you have ever lost sleep because of something you're worried about? I have. These people were losing sleep because of this report. You hear about groups of people wishing that they had just died in Egypt. That's what they said. I wish we just died in Egypt, that we didn't have to make this trip to the promised land. And then a few of them were actually plotting to overthrow Moses. They wanted a new leader. They're like, well, this, this isn't good enough. They wanted something else. I think we see that in our lives as well. So of the 12 men that that went in, it was only Joshua and Caleb who trusted God's leading in their lives. The others complained. And in doing so, they missed out, here it is, on the promises, the blessing, and the purpose that God had for their lives. The only two that were allowed to enter the promised land from this group were Joshua and Caleb. The others weren't allowed to go in. Imagine making the trip, making the sacrifices, and then not being allowed to, to go in. Imagine having a vision as a church that God's given us to, to reach our community, to reach the lost, and disciple people to become mature believers in Christ, only to have something like complaining stop us right at the, right at the promised land. In our house, we're just getting over fighting colds. A couple weeks ago, I was kind of fighting a cold, trying to get through it on stage and uh, being sick. And I've found that there are two things that are more contagious than being sick in life. And they happen to be on two opposite ends of the spectrum than one another. One is complaining. Complaining is contagious. It will affect the people around you, and it will kill contentment in your life so fast. The other is excitement or encouragement. That's why the scriptures tell us to encourage one another over and over again because it's contagious. Instead of finding something to complain about, find something to encourage someone about. See, a handful of complainers can and will affect everyone else. It's scriptural. We see multiple stories where this happens. But excitement and encouragement will also do the same. And when we talk about uh, contentment killers... Chronic complaining is, is one of them. The second contentment killer is comparing. Comparing. So comparing will kill contentment in our lives. You know, when we start to compare our lives to others, comparing kills contentment. Uh, comparing jobs with another person. Maybe you're envious of another person's job. Comparing houses. Comparing spouses. 
comparing our possessions, salary, spiritual gifts, comparing where God has us as a church to what he's doing in another local body of Christ. Comparing, here's what it does. It takes our focus off of Jesus. Comparing places the focus on ourselves, and it kills contentment. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. I love this verse. Paul writes, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. They are without wisdom. That's another word for understanding there. You see, God's wisdom is not comparing our lives, ourselves, with other people. It's finding our identity in Christ. Amen? God's wisdom is not comparing ourselves with other people. It's finding our identity in Christ. You know, it's so easy. It's so easy to compare our lives with the lives of others, especially in the day and age that, that we live. And I think of all the ways that we do this, social media has got to be the worst. It's got to be the worst. So someone else will post something on Facebook or Twitter. They'll post something about their family, the vacations they take, the, the house they live in, the restaurants that they get to eat at, the clothes that they wear. And what happens? We see that and we immediately start comparing. We start the comparison game. I want to share a truth with you this morning that is something that, that we all need to take with us. It's this, that when we, we compare our lives to others, when we compare our lives to others, we allow others to steal our joy. When you log on to Facebook or Twitter or you go to your friend's house and, and whatever the reason, you start comparing your lives with someone else, you allow others to steal your joy, a joy that was only meant to be had in Christ. Because we have to remember that happiness and joy is only found in Christ. It's not found in this world. It's not found in having what others have. It's important that you and I, we, we don't allow others to steal our joy by, feed, by, by them feeding us a false identity. See, when we compare our lives to others and when we're envious of others, it's going to steal joy and it's going to kill contentment. And plus, we all know this to be true. We all know that what people post on social media, all right, or, or Facebook and Twitter, it's only the things that they want us to see, right? I mean, how many times have you taken a picture and then you edit it five or six times until it's just how you want it and then you post it? <laughs> or you have that family vacation that you want to post, but you want to make sure you have all the right angles. People post on social media the things that they only want you to see. Behind their Facebook and Twitter accounts are real people with real issues who really need Jesus. Amen? Just like us. They post the, only the things they want you to see, and we, we do the same. Comparing will kill contentment. So these are, these are two contentment killers. Take a deep breath with me. Where's the positive to this? We're going to call these contentment conquerors, because I believe that God wants us to learn contentment in our lives. The first contentment conquer that we're going to talk about is this. Choose contentment in Christ over contentment in the world. Choose contentment in Christ over contentment in the world. So one of the two things that I listed in this truth will always fail you. The other will always fail you. One of these, these two things will always fail you. The other will always fill you. You see, finding our contentment in the world, lust of the flesh, 
lust of the eyes, the pride of life, as King Solomon talks about, these things will always, 100% of the time, they will fail us. Finding our contentment in Christ will always fail us. And I believe learning contentment always starts with choosing to focus on and think about the right things. Now, I'm, I'm fully aware this morning, you know, that the actions of other people, the people you spend time with in your circle of influence throughout the week, the actions of other people might prompt or provoke you in a negative way. I understand that. I get it. I've been there. But in the end, choosing contentment, having the attitude that God wants us to have, having an attitude of gratitude, it's always a choice. And how we respond is a choice. First Thessalonians chapter 5 Verses 16 through 18, this is what we read. Um, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful. And listen to this. In all circumstances. All circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. You know, choosing to give thanks and to find contentment in Christ. This isn't a worldly self-help book. It's a truth that's meant to be the daily attitude and the response of all believers. You see, no matter what's going on in your life this morning, maybe you walked in today and things are just going great. Maybe you walked in this morning and you're experiencing one of life's storms. I would say to you today that regardless of what's going on in your lives, there is something that you can find to be thankful for. We can always choose thankfulness, always choose an attitude of gratitude, always choose contentment in Christ over contentment in this world. That, that's a contentment conquer. The second contentment conquer is, is this. Uh, believe that I already have everything I need to be content. Uh, believe that I already have everything I need to be content. You know, this, this doesn't mean that God never wants you to have new things. That's not what I'm saying here. It just means that God wants us to learn to be content with what we already have. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, we read these words written to a young pastor. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. There is an enjoyment that can be had from the things that God gives us. And that's a truth that we see consistent throughout God's word. But our, con- our, our contentment should never be in the material things that we have. It should be in the one who gives every good and perfect gift. And Paul's not telling us that we should strive to be poor either. That's not what he's saying. He's reminding us that whatever our situation, rich, poor, anything in between, our hope should be in Christ for joy. Not in the things of this world. Because those who are in Christ are rich. See, Paul had everything he needed to be content, even while living in a prison cell. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Being persecuted physically for his faith. He says, not that I've ever been in need. You know, I I believe more today than I ever have before that the only thing that anyone really needs to be content in this life is a personal and sincere faith in Christ. Contentment conqueror number three. This is very important. Believe that everything I have is temporary. 
believe that everything I have is temporary. And I don't know if you want to write this on your notes. I wrote it to the outside of mine. I wrote, except for Christ. Except for Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, And this is why we never give up. You know, maybe again you're going through a difficult life storm right now. Paul says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Paul is talking about something that's that's learned over time. You see, most of the things in this life, our jobs, our possessions, the illnesses that that we we have to deal with, the, the negative relationships, all of these things are temporary, Paul says. I love what one pastor said. He said, you know, you're never going to find a U-Haul at a funeral. You're just not. If you did, it'd be a pretty funny sight. We don't get to take the things from this life with us. Houses get old and they fall apart. Our house was built in 1970, but we just moved in and we're already replacing things. Houses get old and they fall apart. Our cars break down. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your car broke down this week. I'm not going to say any names. <laughs> Even our bodies are, are daily wasting away. Can I get an amen? You know, I feel like my life leading up to 30 years old, it was like I had so much energy and excitement, and then I hit 30, and I, I just feel like it's going downhill now. <laughs> I just, I can't, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> I don't know if it's the kids or coming to a new church. It's one of those two. (laughs) So our bodies are daily wasting away. That's just a truth of life. Our spirits last, but the bodies that we currently occupy don't. I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of the things that God has given us, our homes, jobs, possessions, our bodies. We absolutely should. What I'm saying is that in the end, these things just, they don't last. These aren't the things that God has promised to us in eternity. And that's why Paul encourages us to fix our eyes on the things that that do last. A relationship with Christ and the promise of eternity. God wants us to focus on uh, to think about eternal things, to have our gaze fixed on Christ. Paul, he, he focused on the spiritual and the invisible. He didn't focus on the material in this part of his life. I truly believe that God wants all believers to learn contentment. You know, for us to learn contentment, we have to first identify the things that kill contentment in our lives. I, I do believe that's where it starts. And for some of us today, that's going to be chronic complaining. You've noticed that it kills contentment. And maybe you haven't been able to to put the right words together. You just have noticed something has not been right. And today, hearing those words, you know. You know that. That's me. I've been a chronic complainer. It's going to cause us to miss out on the promises, the blessing, and the purpose of God in our lives. Uh, the, The other thing is comparing. It's going to kill contentment. 
So instead of comparing our lives to others, let's decide today that we're going to be thankful for what God has already given us, and we're going to allow him to define us. He defines our identity. But there's also contentment conquerors, things that help us to learn this kind of contentment. And that starts with choosing contentment in Christ, not in the things of this world. It starts by having a personal and sincere faith in Jesus. And maybe that's the question that you need to answer today. Do you know Jesus personally? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Have you said yes to the command that God gives all believers to be baptized into Christ through immersion? The baptistry is full today. We can do it today. We'll dip you. One at a time, two at a time, whatever you want. (laughs) Let's choose to not compare our lives to others, but choose contentment in Christ. We should also believe the truth that we already have everything we need to be content. You know, this is so hard, I think, especially because of the culture that we live in. God is the one who gives every good and perfect gift. We can trust that he's given us everything that we need. Finally, we can believe the truth that we don't get to take many of the things in this life with us. We we just don't. So what are are we investing in? How are we spending our time? How are we using the gifts that God has given us? We have the promised hope of eternity today. We have the promise of a relationship with Christ in this life and the promise that we can be influencers for Jesus. Philippians four eleven through 13, Paul says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. And he says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. He was made fun of. But he said, compared to an eternity with Jesus, what we experience in this life is nothing. He said, I've learned to be content. So the question for us today is this, are are we learning to be content In Christ. Are we choosing those contentment conquerors today?